0: Let's take out our Bibles and find Romans chapter 1 for the last time, at least in this series, as we're asking the question, who is Jesus? And this, we made our Advent series beginning a little earlier than the Advent season, about mid-November, and this is our sixth week and we will be finishing it. And if you remember, uh, those of you who have been a part of this, we're using Romans 1, and really the first seven verses, Paul's introduction to this letter, as our springboard and our outline for um, answering that very question. And what we're finding is that the answer to the question, who is Jesus? Jesus is God, and Jesus is the promised King and, uh, over God's forever kingdom, And Jesus is Lord. And that's what we're finishing with this morning. Jesus is Lord. Let's just read these verses and then we'll do what we always do. We'll pause. We'll ask God through His Spirit to give us illumination in our hearts and minds and understanding what we're reading here and the parts that we'll be drawing out. And then we'll jump in. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, on these words father now as we come to this aspect of the worship uh, that you have directed let someone stand up and read the word and explain the word and proclaim the word I pray that you would gift me to do that by your spirit so that what I say would not just be in words but in demonstration of the spirit and of power and along with that may the Spirit work in everyone's hearts here, applying the Word as you see fit, and counseling as only He can do in the inner man and in the heart and the mind of each person here. Help us to understand what it means that we confess Jesus is our Lord. And then, Father, would You work in us both to will and to do what we find the application to that is. And so we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Who is Jesus? Remember, we're dealing here with the gospel. And what we found is that who Jesus is, is as important as what Jesus did to the gospel. What Jesus did doesn't mean anything without what Jesus who Jesus is and vice versa they go together and answering the question who is Jesus is perfect for the Christmas season because remember what we have we have these uh, birth narratives and the, the the narratives in the gospel of Jesus just being a baby and not having done much at all and we used as an example the the response of the magi those wise men, as we call them from the East, who traveled that great distance just to see this infant, and when they go into that room, and here's Jesus probably a year maybe at that point, a year and a half uh, old, and they see this baby, and what do they do? They fall down and worship Him. That's an inexplicable reaction to a baby, honestly. I know new parents sort of fall into the trap of worshiping their babies. I get it. Maybe some grandparents do the same thing for their grandchildren, but I'm talking about here are these, these men who are wise, who have traveled this great distance. They see this baby, and they know to fall down and worship Him. Who is this Jesus that deserves and warrants such a reaction from people. We have learned from this passage and many others that we've connected that it is Jesus who is God and He is King and He is Lord. So just since this is the last time in it, let me just show you this. We'll walk through it just as a review leading into Jesus as Lord. So Paul's saying that he's an apostle and he's been set apart for the gospel of God, which means the gospel that both originated with God, in other words, Paul's not making this stuff up, Neither was Peter or any of the other apostles. This comes from God, and it's about God, right? It's the gospel about what God has done for sinners like you and me so that we can be saved from our sins and enjoy Him forever. He promised it, verse 2, all the way through the Old Testament. So, you read the Old Testament, and what you know you're reading is the promise of this gospel that comes from God. In verse 3, it's concerning His Son. And this is where we began to see that this was gospel is uniquely centered in now on the Son of God. And we we believe and taught that that was more than just… Um, well, what we mean by that when we say that God is, is uh, God the Son, that Jesus is God the Son, is that He is the eternal… Uh, Person in the triune Godhead equal with the Father and the Spirit. And that this person of the Son was the one descended from David. That's what we're celebrating at Christmas time. The Son of God became a man according to the flesh. And that Jesus is truly God and truly man. Two natures in this one person, incomprehensible to us, but taught in the scriptures nonetheless. And then He was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead. In other words, what Paul is saying is that at the resurrection, and then Jesus is ascended into heaven, and He at that point was declared, or perhaps better yet, demonstrated to be the Son of God in power. And that is where He is right now, remember? Ruling and reigning from heaven at the right hand of the Father until He makes all His enemies His footstool, and he is the promised descendant of David, which means he is the promised king over God's forever kingdom. And a time is coming, and at Christmas time, we're actually waiting for this second arrival of the Son of God when he will come and establish that kingdom. So we're looking back at Christmas and we're looking forward. And Jesus is God, and Jesus is King over God's forever kingdom, but now it's time to turn our attention to the fact that Jesus is Lord and ask the question, what does that mean, so that we really have it in our minds, that it isn't something that's just kind of fuzzy to us or, you know, something we think we know what it means or that we're saying something worse yet, like it means to me that this, no, we want to know what does it mean that Jesus is Lord. Now, let me work into this, and I'm going to actually define that word Lord for you in a minute, but let me work into this for a moment. Look at verse 4. This is the common confession of the Christian church and has been from the beginning. Notice what he said, Jesus Christ, our Lord. In other words, Paul's saying, He's my Lord, And He's your Lord too. All of you in the Church of Rome and every other Christian that's going to read this letter, this is our common confession. This is something that the church has been confessing. It's our common confession since the beginning. If we ask, who is Jesus? Well, what is one way we answer that? Jesus is Lord. As a matter of fact, the end of verse 7, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the common confession of the Christian church. In Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, the angel says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And did you know that in the very first. Christian sermon ever preached. We actually have record of it. We have record of the entire sermon in Acts chapter 2. That great day of Pentecost, church is born, and Peter stands up and preaches the first gospel Christian sermon. And the main point of that sermon is that Jesus is Lord. As a matter of fact, he says, In Acts chapter 2, verse 36, "...let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified." The very first Christian message, the main point, the one that was to get everybody and grip everybody, is that this Jesus whom you crucified, God raised from the dead, and he is both Christ or King, and he is Lord. It's a common Christian confession from the very beginning. If you were to find a first century Christian at that time, and you were to go up to them and ask them, you know, what does it mean to be a Christian, or who is Jesus, any of these things, it would come back to the fact that Jesus is Lord. Matter of fact, right around that time, they were all living in the Roman Empire, and Caesar was ruling over them, and Caesar wanted everyone in the empire to say, he is Lord. You may not be aware of this, but one of the reasons that those early Christians were persecuted, probably the primary reason isn't because they believed Jesus or worship Jesus. Romans don't care who you worship. You have many, many gods, but you had to confess Caesar as Lord, and they wouldn't do it. They had to bow their knee to Caesar, confess him as Lord, and they wouldn't do it, and therefore they paid the price. Why? Because they knew, all Christians knew, this is common Christian confession, that Jesus is Lord. And it's an extremely important confession. In a couple months, we'll be getting to Romans 10 in our study through Romans. We just finished up Romans 8 before Advent, and in just a couple of weeks Lord willing we're going to jump back in in chapter 9 and we come to chapter 10 verses 9 and 10 we're going to read these words listen to this if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will what be saved for with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved this is a saving confession. This isn't some minor detail about Christianity. This is a major deal. What does it mean to confess that Jesus is Lord? Because apparently, in order to be saved, friends, you have to. Romans ten thirteen. "...for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved." And this confession is something that is so important that God is sovereignly working through all of history, moving to a particular point in time when He Himself will require everyone to confess Jesus as Lord. As a matter of fact, Philippians chapter 2 Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, referring to Jesus, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what all of history essentially is moving towards that time When that's going to happen. This is how important it is for the Christian church to be clear about who Jesus is, and especially in their confession of Jesus is Lord. So, let's talk about that now and look at some Scriptures to try to come to an understanding of what we're confessing when we say that Jesus is Lord. And I'm going to give you really two main Headings, if you will, and hopefully by the end both of these will come together. When we see that Jesus is Lord or say that Jesus is Lord, we're saying that He is the sovereign ruler of all. He's the sovereign ruler of all, all things, all people, all places, all time. He is the sovereign ruler of all. And secondly, as we'll unfold this, when we confess Jesus as Lord, it means He is the divine covenant Savior of His people. He's a divine covenant Savior of His people, and I'll explain what I mean by that in just a few minutes. Now, let's analyze this word Lord for a moment. Let's define it. The word Lord, as you see translated in your New Testament and Old Testament, uh, in the New Testament, the Greek, of course, in in your New Testament was written in Greek language, the word is kurios. And in the Old Testament, it is Adon, or sometimes you might be familiar with Adonai. It can have a, the simplest or smallest of meanings as just a polite recognition of someone as a sir. Like you would, uh, you would kind of approach somebody who you felt was slightly above you on the social scale, and you owed some honor and respect, and perhaps, even with some obedience, uh, you would call them sir, or We translate it as Lord, all the way up to, very clearly, as we see in the Old Testament in Adonai, all the way up to the sovereign ruler of the universe, Adonai. The Jews would be referring to God Himself as Adon. But the central idea of the Word is one that has authority. Remember when we started this whole series and we said, We're asking, who's Jesus? Jesus is God and King and Lord. The one attribute that all three of those names and titles carry is the attribute of authority. That this is one who has authority, one possessing authority. That's what the word Lord means. And therefore, it's a title and a name that fits Jesus perfectly. Because it was Jesus in Matthew 28 verse 18 that said, "...all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me." All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, or we could say, what, Jesus is Lord. To say that Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth is to say that Jesus is Lord. That's what He's saying about Himself. I am the Lord. I possess all the authority there is to possess. But I want to go a step deeper with this. There is a divine aspect to this idea of confessing Jesus as Lord, the one with absolute authority. Remember that Hebrew word that's translated in the Old Testament as Adon or Adonai. It is the title that Jewish people would ascribe to God when they're thinking of God in terms of the One who's ruling over all things. This is very clear in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1. Remember, Isaiah has this throne room of God vision, right? And he says, "...in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord." Underlying Hebrew word, Adonai. I saw the Lord. He's sitting upon a throne. He's high and He's lifted up, He's exalted, and the train of His robe filled the temple. He is Adonai. He is the supreme, exalted ruler, king, one with authority over all peoples in all places and all times. As a matter of fact, if you read in the book of Revelation in chapters 4 and 5, John gets another scene of that throne room. And the word throne is used over and over and over repeatedly because it's drawing both the reader's attention, just as John's vision was brought to attention, to that sovereign throne upon which God rules and reigns over all creation. Not one thing happens, friends, in your life or mine or in this world, world that does not pass through that throne. He is exalted, He is supreme, He is El Elyon, He is the God Most High, He is ruling over all His creation even right now, even though you read the news and watch the news and it doesn't look that way. But He is seated on the throne. But here's what's so breathtaking about that passage in Isaiah 6. At the end of Jesus' life, right before He goes to the cross, John is chronicling for us in the Gospel of John about he's marveling at the fact that Jesus had done all these things and the Jewish people just rejected him. Right? He did it right in front of their faces. He, they saw him do these things. They're rejecting him. And then he quotes from that passage in Isaiah chapter 6. Okay, He quotes from this passage and he says this in chapter 12 verse 41, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Now whose glory did he see? Well, on the one hand, we could say the Lord's or Adonai. But who is John referring to in John chapter 12? It's Jesus. He's the one he saw, the pre incarnate, of course, glory of the Son of God, who is what? Adonai, sitting on his throne, ruling over all creation. That's breathtaking who is Jesus? Jesus is Lord of all. He is ruler over all. He holds sovereignty over all. He is the ruler, especially too, of His people. See, we as Christians, when we confess that, we're the people in this world that are not acknowledging that. Remember, the time's coming, every knee's going to bow. They're all going to admit this. They're all going to confess it. But we are the people in this world uniquely who confess it now willingly, joyfully, we confess Jesus as Lord, or as Paul put it, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We are the people who confess Him as Lord. This is why the essence of discipleship is obedience to the one with all authority in heaven and earth. This is why He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go make disciples of all the nations And teach them to obey all the things that I've commanded you. Your life then, Christian, becomes one of learning by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit to submit, as we've said in this series, every aspect of your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just Sunday morning for an hour and a half where we kind of bow our knee to Jesus as Lord on Sunday mornings, but our entire life we're learning to bow the knee to Jesus Christ as our Lord in every area of our life. It is time, friends, for Christians and the church generally and Christians individually to return Jesus to His rightful place as Lord of our lives, the rightful place of submission under the authority of of Jesus Himself, who is God and He is King and He is the Lord. You know, one of the ha- most haunting questions that Jesus asked, and I call it haunting because it's one of those questions that once you memorize this, once it's in your mind, it pops into your mind every time you do something you know was wrong. And Jesus asked this in Luke chapter 6, verse 46 Why do you call me Lord, Lord? and not do what I tell you? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, the sovereign ruler of your life, and you don't do what I tell you to do? Isn't that a good question? It's a probing question, isn't it? One thing we can do is really begin as Christians to become honest with ourselves. There's a good place to start. Are we doing what Jesus tells us to do in every area of our life? Word and thought and deed and relationship and workplace and 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 school or church life, whatever it is. Why do you call me Lord, Lord and not do what I tell you? Now, I'm telling you, next time you sin... You're going to remember that question. It's going to haunt you, and that's a good thing. Isn't it good that this Lord was kind enough to come and live the life for us that we should have lived but cannot live and to die the death we should have died but will not have to? This is the Lord to whom we shouldn't be afraid to do some introspection, and to just do some analyzation of our life all the time. As a matter of fact, Christmas time is a time to do it. Just analyze our lives because we got, a new, we got a year ending and a new year beginning. Maybe there's areas in your life you're like, I don't want to bring this into 2024. I'm tired of this sin. And I want to submit to Jesus as Lord in this life. We don't have to be afraid to do it because of the very Lord that we disobey is the very Lord who died for our sins and will is very quick and very ready to forgive and to cleanse us and to enable us then to live for Him. So just as we sang, oh, don't hide from Him. Come to Him. All broken ones and sinful ones and despairing ones, You come to Him now and bring all of that with you knowing that He will, the Lord Himself will pardon you, forgive you, help you, restore you. One thing that it might be helpful to do, and so I think I'm going to do it uh, at the beginning of this year, is at the end of Matthew in chapter 28, He says, uh, teach them to observe all things I've commanded you. And the first thing Matthew probably has in his mind are the things he chose to record in those, in those Gospels. Of course, we know that everything in the Bible comes from Jesus, and we should obey it. But uniquely, it would probably be Matthew's Gospel that he had in mind in that, and we could take and walk through and just take a highlighter in a Bible you don't care to, if you mark it up or not, and highlight every command of Jesus to his disciples. That's one place to start, isn't it? You know, the very first command to Jesus' disciples that he gives in Matthew's gospel, the one to his disciples, is, "Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand." When we find those places that Jesus is not Lord in our life, what do we do? What does the Lord tell us to do? You repent. Why? Because that kingdom that we talked about last week, it's coming. And we need to be a people prepared for the kingdom to come. And the people prepared for the kingdom, clearly, according to Jesus, are those who are repenting people, and they're putting their faith and trust in Him. So, Jesus is Lord, and by that we mean sovereign ruler over what? Everything, and uniquely in this age, over the lives of His people. But I want to go one step deeper in this, using Scripture to do it show us one more nuance of what it means to confess Jesus as Lord, and that is that He is the covenant-saving God over us. He is the one uniquely we trust in as the covenant-saving God. Now, I'm going to put up on the screen for you Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Stay with me on this. Okay? The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. Now he's going to quote from Isaiah And the passage, actually, we read earlier, Isaiah chapter 40. So Mark's going to quote here from Isaiah 40. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now, I underlined that last phrase, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight for a reason. John, of course, was the one, John the Baptist, uh, one of the reasons you'll see in Luke's gospel, John the Baptist connected so clearly to the birth of Jesus, uh, all of that happening around the same time, and that because John was this special messenger there we're waiting for, who was going to prepare the way for the Lord's coming. And in that passage, and I want to put it, Isaiah 40, we'll put the original passage up on the screen, hopefully I have it, yes I do. Isaiah 40, verse 3, in the wilderness. Now, I have this underlined here, what Mark's quoting prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now, first of all, just at a surface level, I want you to see this. Clearly, what Mark is saying in applying this passage to Jesus is that Jesus is the Lord and he is God, because that's who. Mark is preparing for, or John is preparing for. He's preparing the way for the Lord, and He is preparing the way for our God. So again, another um, example of Scripture demonstrating that Jesus is truly God. But you'll notice the Lord in Isaiah 40 verse 3, and the word Lord is in all capital letters. Okay, capital L-O-R-D. It's different than the one that we saw earlier with Lord and that underlying Hebrew word being Adonai. So stay with me on this. That was Adonai, referring to God clearly, but it's not in all capital letters. They just capitalize L. But here it's all capital letters, L-O-R-D. That's because what your translators are showing you, for most people who don't read biblical Hebrew, is that the underlying word being translated Lord with all capital letters is what we call the divine name of God. It's Yahweh. It's Yahweh. And instead of translating it directly as Yahweh, they translate it as Lord with capital L-O-R-D. And as a matter of fact, the People of Jesus' day had a Greek translation of the Old Testament because that was the common language of the people and they translated the Hebrew Bible into the Greek language. And when they came to the verse like this where the word was Yahweh, they translated it as Lord or kurios that we looked at in Romans 1, which is why our translators do roughly the same thing. But what that means, friends, is something very important that what Matthew is or Mark is saying then in quoting from Isaiah forty three about the ministry of John the Baptist to prepare the way of the Lord, what is he saying about Jesus? He is Adonai, and he is Yahweh in the flesh. That word Yahweh was the personal name by which God revealed Himself uniquely now to His people Israel. It's His covenant faithful, saving name. I say that because we're introduced to it in Exodus chapter 3 when a Lord peers to Moses in the burning bush, says, hey, you're going to go in and get the people of Israel out of Egypt? And Moses asks this question in verse 13, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And the Lord answered and said, Say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Friends, who is Jesus? Jesus is Lord. He is the covenant Lord of Israel. Yes. He is the God of Abraham, he is the God of Jacob. He is this great I Am. As a matter of fact, that name Hebrew is a verb, essentially, which means I am. I am who I am. This is who Jesus is. This is the one by which Israel could know God personally and be saved by Him covenantally. But this Jesus, says the New Testament authors... This Yahweh is doing a saving work that expands beyond the nation of Israel. He is instituting a new covenant in His own name and in His own blood to deliver His people from a far greater enemy than Egypt and slavery from Egypt, but a delivery from sin and death and the devil. This means that Jesus then is our saving covenant God, the one that has been provided for us. He is our Redeemer. He is our Lord. He is the one to rule over this kingdom that will have no end. Jesus is the great I Am He made this statement very clearly in John chapter 8, verses 56 to 59. He said, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, What? I am. What was their reaction They picked up stones to throw at Him. Why? Because that was blasphemy. They knew exactly who He's claiming to be. He is claiming to be Yahweh in the flesh. Some of you may really appreciate the Christmas song, Mary, Did You Know? Some of you maybe not. I don't know. But one of the lines in there, listen to this. Mary, did you know that your baby boy is Lord of all creation? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day rule the nations? Did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb, that sleeping child you're holding is the great I Am? This is what we're professing. And Jesus is Lord in the fullest meaning of that expression. He is the sovereign God and creator of all, and He is the covenant, faithful, loving, with steadfast love, Savior, and Redeemer of His people. Did you know that the name Yahweh is actually built right into the human name Jesus? As a Matter of fact, the angel himself was the one who told Mary, uh, Joseph what that boy was to be named. And he said, you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. The name for Jesus is Yeshua, And right at the end of that is Yah. You see that at the end of these names or these words. It's a shortened form of Yahweh, the Lord, or the Lord is salvation. Or, the Lord saves, built right into His name is the mission of this one. He has come as the covenant Lord to uh, save His people from their sins. And how did He do that? Of course, He did that by going to the cross and dying for our sins. What a remarkable thing the gospel is. Lord of all creation, the great I Am, the self-existent One, becomes a part of His creation to save sinners. What a demonstration of incomprehensible love. And as we looked at just a few weeks ago in Philippians chapter 2, just a real, the prime example of humility that He would do this for you and for me. And that's why in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Peter says very clearly, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Only the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the name that encompasses all who He is and what He has done for sinners like us. Christmas is a season in which we as a church uniquely proclaim the saving name of Jesus. We proclaim to the lost world that Jesus is Lord. Again, Luke chapter 2, verses 10 to 12, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. What is the main gospel of Christmas? I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And that gospel message of Jesus as Lord goes out to every man and woman and child around the globe because as Paul said in Romans chapter 10, there is salvation and uh, there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's an all-encompassing promise, isn't it? means everyone in this room, regardless of what you've done or not done, regardless of your age or your background or your economic status or how far into sin you've plunged or stayed away from, it's all, it's its regardless. It doesn't matter. None of those things are taken into consideration. The offer goes out, this Lord who is Jesus will save anyone who calls on Him. This is the essence of salvation. You call on the name of the Lord. You call upon His name. You ask Him to forgive you. You ask Him to save you. And you know what He does? He does it. His name is Jesus. Yahweh is salvation, for He will save His people from their sins. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank You for the gospel. We thank You for Christ Jesus our Lord and Lord Jesus we exalt your name we lift it up on high we praise you for who you are and what you've done and I ask that every person in this room now again would be looking to you and that you would respond with your saving power and grace we ask it in your name amen